Welcome to the Optimal Bio Podcast. At Optimal Bio, we don't just balance your hormones, we balance your whole body. Our conversations range from nutrition to medicine with an emphasis on wellness tips to support your health journey. If you like what you hear, find us on the web at optimalbio.com and follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Optimal Bio's Wellness Podcast. Uh, since February is cardiovascular month, we thought we would uh, talk about the heart today. And uh, we have uh, someone very special with us. It's, it's back, as always, Dr. Greg Brannon, owner uh, of Optimal Bio. So, Greg, welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Jim. So, you know, big month, February, um, cardiovascular month, heart appreciation month, you know, whatever, you know, you want to describe it. Um, why don't we just start a little bit with some things that have been current um, over the last uh, month or so? Because um, I'm kind of confused myself, and it's um, it we'll pretty much roll into a bunch of other stuff today as well. But uh, Devar Hamlin, uh, the safety for Buffalo Bills, you know, back what January second, you know, tackled uh, a wide receiver and ended up, you know, going to a cardiac arrest and. I just saw today that a uh, goalie, after saving a penalty kick in Europe, um, passed away. Um, thankfully, uh, Devar Hamlin uh, survived, and was that quite frankly was at the Super Bowl this past week. Um, don't know how well versed you are in impacts to the heart and what have you, but um, I know you've read up on it recently, and you know I thought for our audience at least, uh, it seems such a one in a million type of thing. So you know, I wanted to learn a little bit more about it and, you know, get your insights on it. Yeah, uh, obviously, you know, hope he, look, these numbers are getting very high, Jim. Uh, there's a Dr. Gold looked at it and said it since um, in 2000, in 2021 and 22, there are over 1,660 um, fed, um, collapses with 1,400 deaths. Uh, he looked back at the past 38 years and there was, there was less than 1,000 collapses but cardiac rest in numbers under a hundred. So it's the most condensed time in two years have this many collapses and cardiac arrests. Uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, who was the chairman at Baylor and the um, one of the leading cardiac epidemiologists in the world says he's actually reviewed the data after Hamlin's, uh, Hamlin's um, occurrence. It's extremely rare. It must be that the heart rhythm has to be in a perfect cycle. It must be hit at approximately 40 miles an hour. And he has probably two cases he found in the last 40 years. So he he said look at other causes as well. So I'm I'm not exactly sure what the cause. Not being a cardiologist, but obviously having that many collapses and 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 deaths should be looked into more fully. Um, it could be a thrombo a clotting events. Could it be arrhythmia events. We've seen an uptick in myocarditis the last three years. Um, I think uh, McCullough's article is phenomenal, saying you should take more time to look at all all reasons, not just focus for the one in a million reasons, but look at what are things that can commonly cause these clots to look for those reasons. So I guess one of the things that I wanted to, you know, maybe clear up a little bit, is there such thing as athletic overexertion where, um, you know, the heart becomes so stressed out from, from exercise or from um, you know, stress within an athletic event, you know, that, you know, the impact of something potentially causes the heart to do something. Um, you know, is that, have you heard about that before? Is there, that, that's something you can talk about? Again, I read Peter's article two weeks ago, my, uh, Jim, and he was talking about it. In the dad, he looked, he could not find a single case like Hamlin's case, but found three cases that may have been associated. This talking over the last 40 years, 
It's just the odds of it happening are, cre- are extremely rare because it has to be the, again, the cycle of the heart as well as a, 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 a at least 40 miles per hour. But when you look back at people passing away from heart things in high school football training or things like that, it's almost virtually always a cardiac malformation that's being exposed by the stress. Not a, you talked about a a healthy heart. Uh, It's just the last two years have been a high kick in young, healthy males with myocarditis. So what is that coming from? I love reading Peter McCullough's uh, uh, stuff on that and McCullough's stuff on that, but there's a lot of a lot of uh, conjectures out there. But it is definitely the last two and a half years a big uptick. Mm-hmm. So, for our audience, can you talk about what the difference is between myocarditis and pericarditis? Okay, the heart is the muscle has four chambers. It functions to pump blood. It pumps deoxygenated blood from the right side to the lungs, it gets oxygenated and then takes the oxygenated blood from the lungs, uh, collects that, and then in the left side of the heart, sends it to the rest of the body. So it's oxygenated. Picture, it's not actually blue and red, but picture oxygenated blood is more is more oxygen, so red, more of the venous blood is blue. So that's, that's the pump. The pericardium is the cover or the bag in which it sits. So you picture this this bag over it, the bag should be very flexible. There's fluid in there, so it can move around. So if you get an inflammation of the pericardium, that causes a restricted space for the heart to do its function. So it will decrease its cardiac output. Myocarditis is an inflammation of the heart muscle itself. And that could actually also restrict heart flow, but also depending where the myocarditis occurs, can actually cause arrhythmia because you know we're, we're run by electricity, the nervous system, and there's parts in the right atrium that actually controls the electrical pace, the EKGs of the heart. And if that gets thrown off, then you don't get the right rhythm. It's very important that the, the atriums collect the blood from both places and then stay to the ventricles. And that rhythm has to be done so it's a perfect flow, diastolic systolic flow, to get that current going so it keeps going forward. So any hindrance in the structure or the, electro, or the electricity talking could throw out that, hot, that flow. But the pericarditis is the outside bag holding the, the heart. Okay. I mean, both don't sound good. One's the muscle, one's the bag. Right. Um, I mean, is there such a thing as that if you're going to get one, would you want one over the other? No, I want either. <laughs> okay, no, I, fair no enough. And that's why it's very important. Is why it's occurring. This is an inflammatory process. Is it an inflammatory process? Why is it getting, is it a virus? Is it some cells being exposed? Uh, that your body's attacking itself. These are things that we have to, you know, they have to look at it, but it's an inflammatory process. So most commonly, um, it, there's been studies on some t- certain vaccines that may increase. Um, it may be because of infections, um, virus being the most, maybe bacterial, but our body is very resilient. Again, the heart starts, we start our life, the heart stops, it, uh, there goes our life, right? So that's the most crucial thing that these cells just bump for, you know, for hopefully 80, 90 years but you want to keep that flow going. It's just, uh, Jim, the last couple of years, it's been a complete uptick. I mean, let those numbers sink in. There's another study by Gold. He said in, the, in 2021 alone, there were 1,161 deaths of athletes. He looked at a study from 1966 to 2004, 38 years. Excuse me. The first time, 2021, there were 1,161 deaths of cardiac arrest, specifically. He looked back from 1966 to 2004, it uh, took 30 years to have the same 1,160 deaths. 
but that was not from cardiac arrest only. It was malformations and other reasons, but strict cardiac arrest. And that the question is, so why is the heart stopped beating in the last two or three years? Yeah, well, you alluded to it before. I mean, you know, could be a plethora of things, but, um, you know, there seems to be a one common denominator that's uh, entered our society in the last uh, two or three years in addition to COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, that, well, that's what Peter McCullough talked about. And that's what Peter said. And again, Peter, is, he's the most published cardioepidemiologist in American history. And uh, he's just saying, let's look at everything. This is too important not to throw things out. Just be open-minded to look at every reason why this might be occurring. So we're gonna decrease inflammation. That's why it's important, um, you know, the quercetin, the vitamin D, the zincs, all these things, uh, high fat diet, a nice healthy protein diet. These are very important things to keep, the, to keep our immune system stronger. Vitamin D being one of the most crucial. Yeah, and we're gonna get into all that stuff soon. I mean, I, I, the thing that is somewhat puzzled me too is, remember my nephew, when he was 18 years old, he got myocarditis and he was in the ICU for two or three days and you know, spent a couple more days in the step-down unit before he was released and he was fortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems like there's a lot of dismissiveness around you know, the severity of myocarditis. And um, you know, from my personal experience, at least, um, it's very serious. And you know, I've seen what it, it can do to an 18-year-old man in this case. Jim, there's some long-term studies showing five years after a myocarditis has about a 20% congestive heart failure. So it's not like you get over it and you're over it. There may be sequelae, a weakened heart, a weakened muscle not actually respond back to its, its, its pre-infected state. Okay, so let's, um, we can probably talk about this forever, but let's, let's move on to the famous cholesterol. <laughs> so talking to one of my uh, business colleagues yesterday and um, we actually had dinner last night and he's 49 years old, slightly overweight, but nothing crazy. And Went and got his physical at a well-known uh, healthcare institution in this area, in the Raleigh-Durham area. And he, um, his cholesterol is at 263. So his doctor uh, immediately put him on a statin and he started taking the statin. So he was asking me about it. And obviously I gave him my opinion based on you, your relationship with myself. And um, so why don't we walk through that? Like why, what is the big deal about 263 to begin with? Um, and just to give you a little more breakdown, I think they probably freaked out because his LDL was, you know, 191, I think, and his HDL was 40. Um, and by the way, I'm still puzzled why the LDL and the HDL never add up to the total cholesterol number, but I'll leave that for another day because I'm sure there's some kind of VLDL and also IDL, but that's okay. (laughs) But they don't give you those numbers though. So you don't know. Um, so anyhow, um, you say what? Uh, on that. Okay. Thing. First off is I was a practicing OBGYN, not a cardiologist. I'm also board certified and a fellow in functional medicine, integrative medicine. There's a great book called Fat and Cholesterol Don't Cause Heart Attacks and Statins Are Not the Solution uh, by Paul J. Rausch, MD. I got that from a great video. There's a video by a neurologist who talks his whole story named David M. Diamond on YouTube and speaking about his eight, nine years on this stuff and a Dr. Ali Nadir, a cardiologist from Houston. I recommend you look at these videos. They're phenomenal science. But let's think about this. The, the liver, our body makes cholesterol. Cholesterol equals life. I can't stress that. Without cholesterol, we're not here. It forms 50% of every single plasma member, cell membrane in the body. 
it forms all of our sex hormones. It forms other components that these cholesterol become. I'll go through some of those in a moment. And when you say don't eat cholesterol, it's very important to understand this. If you don't eat cholesterol, your liver will make it. Your liver will do everything possible to make roughly 2,000 milligrams of cholesterol every single day. Actually, 30,000 to 40,000 milligrams are stored in your body, but make roughly 2,000 every day. So if you eat, this is important, if you have a cholesterol, it's free, free. That's called unbound or unesterified. That can uh, that can be absorbed in the body. When it's esterified, bound to a molecule, an ester, it can't be. That's a storage way. Most food we eat, I will go to eggs later on, it's in a it's in a uh, it's in the it's in the unbound the exercise form, so you can't even absorb it. But understand that eighty five percent of our cholesterol we have in our body comes from endogenously being made. Okay, Canada said since two thousand, hey, cholesterol is no number. We're wrong on that. America still says a number on that. Uh, when I was in school, is anything under three thirty was bad. Uh, now it's two hundred. But let's think logically. Your body makes this. So you take a molecule like statins that, that block it. There's a classical paper showing a cholestriamine, that, which is binds it in your belly and you pooped it out, actually lowers cholesterol, but did not decrease overall mortality. That's very important. They have another classical study from 1965 doing corn oil, giving corn oil, it lowered cholesterol, but it increased overall mortality. So you start looking at the molecules that cholesterol makes. If you stop making those, you're going to have sequelae of those. Now, here's the real kicker. Mark Houston is a is a doctor um, in, in Nashville. He's a cardiologist. And he brought me through this whole thing too. Cholesterol is carried. Cholesterol, water, and oil don't mix. So therefore, your body must wrap oil, the cholesterol, a fat, in a protein that allows it to go through the system. How many of those particles you have, that's the risk factor. It's not the cholesterol. It's like it's a it's a passenger in a car, uh, in, a, in a boat, we'll say, a, a car. The passenger has no control over the car, but the more cars you have, more transfer and accident. So it's particle numbers, the highest risk factor, and that's genetically and high sugar, not high fat. So when you have these random numbers, it's it, Jim, there's no data on that. There's there's Japanese study looked at 27,000 people. The higher one's cholesterol is, the higher one's LDL is, less cause of all death. I got four studies right here alone um, that go over all the data on that. There's also a Thale study, which is a classic American study. Same thing. Higher one's cholesterol, cause of all, all, all cause mortality decreases. The famous Farmingham study, since 1948, they've looked at the population in Massachusetts of cardiovascular disease, blood pressure, the whole bit. The higher one's cholesterol is, less cause of death. But Greg, but Greg, it's not everything they say. I got it. But low on cholesterol, this famous paper they use said it decreased overall mortality, Lipitor, by 36%. We've got to understand relative versus absolute. The absolute change was less than 0.01% change. The, but, the, but they didn't show you that you have a 30% increase in diabetes, 30%, uh, two-fold increase in breast cancer, 36% increase in all cancers, because what the molecule of cholesterol becomes in our body runs a bunch of stuff, Jim. I'll get more de detail in the morning. So the question is also, 
a random number. What is his blood pressure? What is his uh, endothelial age? What is his calcium score? All these things add up. It's not a random number. But when you start looking at what cholesterol becomes, statins increase Alzheimer's by 30 to 40%. You know, there's risk factors to all this stuff, Jim. And I'll go over the data. I took over, I took five molecules that cholesterol becomes and what happens when you lower it, when you block that. So just to clarify, you, you made a, a comment earlier. It's anything in the old days, anything over 300 was- 330 was when I was in school. Now it's 200. Now it's anything over 200, not 100. Yes. Okay, got it. Um, great. So the- and again, Jim, I know what I'm saying is contraindicated. I understand that. And I'm very clearly, I'm not a cardiologist. I got that. I understand the Mayo scoring system. I got all that. But that's why I, I like to refer other people to do their research. You know, trust to verify. Diamond's videos, stat, these videos of the stat, Peter Tia has a great nine chapter volume on a podcast, 18 hours of cholesterol metabolism. It's understanding what this becomes. I love his phrase, cholesterol equals life. We just can't throw it. It's part, it's a specific type. Dr. Miller and Dr. DeBakey, two of the most famous um, cardiovascular surgeons in the, in the history of America and the world, he says, they say blaming cholesterol is like blaming a fireman who's at your house to put the fire out. Just because cholesterol is inside the plaque doesn't mean it's the cause. Dr. Ansel Keys had that hypothesis in 1961. He has his degree in economics and fish biology. The original study was done on rabbits, herbivores. Herbivores can't eat meat. So they, of course, they didn't know to do the cholesterol. In 1957, Journal American Medical Association had an article, how can we lower diabetes and obesity? They said eat more fat, more protein, eliminate carbohydrates. Then the 61 came out, this whole thing came out, the cholesterol thing. Again, lowering a number, understand everything is not, everything is not done in isolation. Lowering a number does not change overall mortality. The only number you should look at is overall mortality, period. So then from a mechanical standpoint, does the statin then tell the liver not to produce cholesterol? Yeah, Is that exactly. What so you got this molecule called acetyl-CoA, which becomes a thing called HMGCOK, which becomes malvonic acid, which then becomes cholesterol. Statins work there. So I'm going to go through a couple more, and I'll go slow because I know I talk fast anyway, but it's just, it's just common. If you block a pathway, the common sense should be, what else are you blocking? Are you only blocking the plaques? Now, there are some statins that may have some benefit on people who've already had heart attacks, but not because of their cholesterol blocking, because of their anti-inflammatory process. But let's go first. The biggest one, Jim, is called isopenitol. It's a molecule. It's the first branch after making this melvonic acid become cholesterol. It becomes a thing called a glutathione peroxidase which is glutathione, which is one of the most important things to stop free radicals. So when that is, when that's impaired, you actually stop one huge thing is you stop um, the formation of um, these cancer surveillance cells when you grab them. So our immune system is weakened. That's why it's been shown roughly about a 30% increase in cancers. Breast cancer twofold, Jim. Another molecule becomes, it actually converts, isopentanol converts vitamin K1 to K2. K2 metabolism actually extracts calcium from the atherosclerotic lesion. So you're trying to stop atherosclerosis, but by blocking isopentanol, you're actually stopping our body's natural mechanism in which to get rid of the calcium. Another th product is this, think about this. If cholesterol in the blood causes atherosclerosis, why is it only arteries that have it, not veins. 
And why is it in high pressure areas? Because cholesterol brings to the endothelial lining a molecule called sulfur, which keeps the lining smooth so the blood flows frictionless. To keep that going, what molecule carries sulfur to the cell? Cholesterol. That's why Dr. DeBakey talks about, it's like the fireman coming, you're putting your fire out. I'll go through some more first, Jim, but that's why I think we should really ask these questions. There's no medication that has that is not, that is, has not have some side effects, even though it has some benefits. But what is the benefit of overall mortality? And again, I can't stress the Journal of Metabolic Medicine, the Japanese study, the Thalensen studies here, it's showing the higher the number is, lower overall mortality. So then if the liver is going to make cholesterol, mm-hmm. Can you, can one reduce cholesterol through diet? Exactly. So I just said before, Jim, your body only absorbs the unesterified uh, cholesterol that's in your diet if you need it. Okay. So if you're making it, you're not going to make less. So, So the more, so the less you eat, the more your body will make. Then it recycles through the bile acid, through the gallbladder. And then, believe it or not, 85% of the cholesterol we absorb in our gut, we've already made. It wasn't from our food. So this whole idea of banning you can't eat cholesterol is garbage. Again, the great study they showed in 65, low, taking corn oil, vegetable oil. Yes, yes, it did lower. It did lower cholesterol. But it, it increased overall mortality. Because again, right. another structure, Jim, it makes, um, in the mitochondria, which turns oxygen to energy, cholesterol becomes a thing called CoQ10, which is one of the parts of the electron transport chain that basically forms a battery. And that turns oxygen into energy. And you're blocking that. So now you make less energy to your muscle or all your cells. But what muscle is the biggest muscle that counts? Your heart. There's higher congestive heart failure with that. Um, another one is, this the big one is, Dolcocholic acid, that becomes the molecule that actually makes the insulin receptor in your body. So it affects glycosation. There's a 30% increase in forming diabetes on those on statins. Diabetes increases heart attacks, high blood pressure. You know, it's a cascade effect. Your liver, your body's pretty smart on knowing what it means. Cholesterol is probably one of the most controlled molecules your body makes because without it, you cannot form a cell. So you mentioned earlier that, uh, which is opposite of what traditional medicine will tell you, that a high-fat diet is actually healthier for your heart than a low-fat or no-fat diet. Is that a fair assumption? Low-fat is the worst thing you could do for your brain, your body, your muscle. We have 50 years now of this whole idea of low-fat, high-carb we have more diabetes, more metabolic syndrome, more Alzheimer's, more dementia. Uh, just think about it. We, there's a I met with a neuroendocrine, a neurophysiologist today, brilliant, and it looks like we we all have the same amount of gray matter in our brain and our and our nerves. What delineates our health is the white matter. The white matter is made out of mainly cholesterol, and that's how. Great athletes protect, you know, that's how their, their muscles move better, more coordinated because they have more axon fibers, a higher, thicker myelin sheath. Um, one of the biggest molecules that cholesterol becomes is, is vitamin D3. Vitamin D3 affects over 3,000 genes in your body. There's four known mechanisms of vitamin D decreases uh, overall cancer. So yeah, we're messing up with the way the body's supposed to run by these hypotheses. I love Jason Fung. He says, we tried this for 60 years. It didn't work. Let's try something else. But the study in 1957, I know it's 1957, 
but they looked back over a hundred years of data on obesity and diabetes and found high fat, uh, uh, high fat, high protein uh, um, actually eliminated that. There's another study that showed it, it was uh, in the 60s. It had obese men eating their own normal diet. Another, uh, another uh, group ate three eggs a day. The three eggs a day lost more weight, lowered blood pressure, and overall mortality decreased in the three eggs a day. We'll go over the nutrition benefits of that soon. So my friend, if he did want to reduce his cholesterol. Um, well, well, but first, it's not good. That's our fallacy. Okay, I've just said the higher the cholesterol is, the higher the cholesterol is, less cause of death of all causes. There's, it's, it's a wrong correlation. If he wants to increase his longevity, lower your waist circumference. That's the number one risk factor for men over 40. 40, 40 inches is the risk factor for women 35. But that's the result of getting, getting extra sugar, storing fat around your liver and your pancreas. It makes it become more inefficient. You store fat now in your momentum. That's called visceral fat that pushes the belly out. The highest risk factor for cardiovascular disease, death, is a abdominal circumference over 40 for a man, 35 for a woman. That is a metabolic disease. So how do you do it? Increase testosterone, decrease insulin, increase um, our, get our thyroid optimal, T3, reverse T3, get this beautiful body, um, machinery working well, then walk, sleep, exercise. Simple, learn how to breathe properly. These are things we're looking for Band-Aids when it actually is a lifelong thing. It didn't take us, you know, you, we didn't get that belly or that unhealthiness overnight. It takes time. But, but uh, Chapel Hill did a study about five years ago uh, only 12% of people are metabolically healthy. That's measuring the efficiency of mitochondria. So to, again, I, I don't, I want to throw the number out. Now, if you're a man who had a heart attack, there are some studies to show in certain people that maybe it's, oh, it's, it's beneficial for long, for mortality, but then you got to replace with that block. So you got to go on CoQ10 to protect the mitochondria, to protect the heart from congestive heart failure. So, but there's a small subset of that. There's not one paper on women of their beneficial, not one. So I guess to protect the waistline, drinking sugar-free monster drinks during the day probably doesn't help the waistline. In fact, the sugar-free increases diabetes because your body thinks it's starving. And the worst is fructose. Fructose, uh, a glucose molecule that's extra will bind to a protein. We've heard, heard of hemoglobin A1C. It binds to the protein. It also binds to the brain. Insulin is a neurotransmitter. And the more you have, the more it distorts the brain, which demyelinates the brain, causes tanglements of, of these uh, tau proteins. That is the structure defect of Alzheimer's. But that is a structural defect because of the hyperinsulinemia hyper, and hyperglucose. Uh, uh, Fructose is seven times more potent bad than glucose is. And non-sugar, uh, the fake sugars, actually are the number one cause of non-alcohol liver failure. So how you do it? Jim, intermittent feasting or eating, being adaptable, have your, your body, is, the body's very smart. It'd rather have fat for energy, but if there's sugar hanging around, got to burn through that first. Then you have to find intermittent fasting, ketosis. That really is beneficial for the brain, the heart, and the body. And then- over time, you get that out of your body that you've adapted and you'll, you'll be in that pattern once your body's metabolically adapted. So if you're then just a typical person that's, you know, getting the typical 
you know, labs done and, you know, getting your cholesterol tested or whatever, you know, obviously that's not uh, probably the best indication of whether or not you're, you have blockage or you have a heart situation. 100%. 100%. But, but is the calcium test a better indicator? And if so, is that a simple blood test or is that something else? It's much better. And it's a simple CAT scan. You lay in the machine for about five minutes. They take a CAT scan of your heart and they can see where the plaque's built up. But there are studies to show vitamin D3 with Ks can actually lower, make the lesions smaller over time. Okay. That's the end result. Again, uh, Dr. Houston says, it is, uh, uh, atherosclerosis is an inflammatory disease. You got this, um, Picture a, a ladder, a ladder. You have the you have the rungs in the middle and the outside. That's our cell membrane. That's what our cell membrane looks like. If the if the ladder is broken on the on the outside and the rungs are exposed, because the outside is protein, the inside's fat. When the, when when that is exposed, now you got these uh, these uh, proteins exposed to uh, these fats exposed to oxygen. That's where the inflammatory process starts. Platelet factor four, macrophages, all that stuff occurs. So the goal is to decrease the insult. Omega threes, olive oil, vitamin D, uh, vitamin uh, vitamin K, high fat diet, high uh, red meat diet, eggs to make the membrane uh, flexible, strong without breaking. Then you want to make sure that your immune system is active to get the bad stuff, not active on your own body. So the key is you have to reverse all that. But Jim, 40, 50, 60 years of a high inflammatory diet. Look at, look at our bellies. Look at our weight. Look at how things have changed because of this simple diet. We ate three meals a day 50 years ago, Mike, uh, Jim, but we had a bacon and eggs and a, a more of a gluten molecules change over the last 60 years. And we ate within like a, an eight, 10 hour window, breakfast at seven, lunch at 12, done at five. You know, so the problem is, is that we've set up ourselves in this very, very bad hyperglycemic state, which has led to the inflammatory state. Sugar is poison, basically. If you don't eat fat, you'll die in a few months. If you don't eat protein, you'll die in a few months. If you don't eat carbohydrates, you're healthier. He's being sarcastic, guys. Um, <laughs> the Okay, let's talk about eggs. Um, it seems like <laughs> <laughs> eggs have been under assault since I guess I was a kid. Um, you know, back in the 70s, they decided that, you know, eggs were, you know, loaded with too much cholesterol and therefore caused heart disease. So you were only allowed, um, you know, not, it was recommended that you limit yourself to, you know, I remember in my world, you know, two eggs a week. Whereas if you went some, uh, read someplace else, you know, you might be able to get away with having seven eggs a week. So basically one a day. Um, so then it seems like eggs made a comeback uh, about, you know, 10 years or so ago. Um, we're a great source of protein, you know, loaded with, uh, you know, other, you know, major nutrients. Um, and then recently, you know, about a month ago or so, we saw that eggs now cause blood clots. Um, and then we've seen, you know, a couple of egg plant explosions, literally, um, where the plants have been destroyed in the last uh, couple of weeks as well. So tell us about eggs and what is true and what is false. Yeah, look at Canada. They've been recommending eggs at least two a day forever. Uh, they, it was the 2000. They backed up on that. America, we're the only ones really that actually say no right now. It still makes no sense. They talk about 
So let's see what that's an egg is. First off, it's six to seven grams of healthy, pure, high quality protein. Protein makes muscle. It makes hormones. Without it, we're, we're dead. It has healthy fat. Two thirds unsaturated, one third saturated. It is important. Saturated fat is crucial for the body. Everything's made out. It's the trans fats that are synthetic that's bad. Not, not, so your canola oils, your rapeseed oils, those are poison. You look at the what our body makes is saturated fats. Then you have omega-3, which is a saturated fat, uh, unsaturated fat, it's a monounsaturated fat. You have that inside, then that's based upon the grain you give or the feed you give to the chickens. You have uh, cholesterol, you have choline, vitamin D, nice and iron, vitamin D. You have carotenoids, protect the vision. Um, you have iron, you have all the Bs. It's probably the most best, well-nourished one source you can get in anything. And I said, you know, I used to say before. So all of it was a hypothesis again, a, a hypothesis done by a man who was an economist who had a theory. Now, here's what happened in his study. He looked at 40-something countries. He threw all but seven out to meet his hypothesis. France has the highest saturated fat intake in the world, over 40%. I mean, excuse me, 40% fat, over 50% saturated fat, and the lowest cardiovascular disease death in the world. Really? So they threw it out. He th yeah, he threw that out. So without fat, we don't make brain. We have a higher, there's a, there's a, I read, read this book, a guy has a theory that this last low Alzheimer's dementia cognitive increasing so much is really this low fat, high carbohydrate diet is the, actually the impetus behind it. I think there's a component to that. So this idea that this is unhealthy by the food pyramid was done by the grain company lobbyists in 1977 to push through grains. There's no true science behind it, Jim. That's what's so sad about this stuff. We are omnivores. Eat a little grains, eat a little fat, eat a little protein. But to eliminate, to eliminate things that are just pure sugar, I mean, to keep the pure sugar as our basis diet, the NIH in 2001 ranked foods based upon their healthiness, all right? A hundred is the highest. How much out of a hundred? Watermelon was number one. Kale was number two. Number three was frosted mini-wheats. Eggs and steak were towards the bottom. I mean, I did read somewhere <laughs> where that, that one paper was dismissed, but who knows? Um, no, it wasn't dismissed. It came out for the NIH. I read it two nights ago. No, no, no. <laughs> it's still there. It's still recommended. It's, gar it's a version of their food pyramid. But here's the problem again. This is the idea of, of, of not getting political on the size of I don't care, but the government has no role in protecting your health. You have the role. You have to take the knowledge. You got to make decisions. But the doctor told me so. I'm, I'm going to be a little blunt here. Jason Fung, who's a world expert nephrologist, 95% of all kidney failure is diabetes. So he's really focused on what can do with his patients, how to eat. He, he's really pushing intermittent fasting. He said great results with that. But his first book, Obesity Code, he starts it very frankly. Why would you take advice from a fat doctor? You know, if these things work, there's a study from our army. In 1998, 12% of our army was overweight. In 2018, it was 82% eating the American diet. Something's going on. His answer is try anything but that. Right. And that's what the whole thing is here. Let's go back to, we know healthy, uh, and healthy fats are all fats. Healthy fats are not seed oil, uh, vegetable oil. Those are unhealthy. They're omega-6s. And this is important to understand that. Our bodies made have omega-6 and omega-3 in a one-to-one -one ratio. When that's there, the membranes are pliable, flexible, and strong. 
When you get an omega-6 in there, 20 to one ratio you have now, you make them hard and brittle and they break. That's why you have more free radicals, more inflammation. And again, every disease process is a hyper-inflammatory state. And you got to lower inflammation, you help all these itises will go down. And I and that's why I believe, you know, Parkinson's, also, these things are definitely a inflammatory disease. So getting back to eggs, um, I guess the average egg has, what, 213 milligrams of cholesterol and the American Heart Association in 2000 recommended only 300 milligrams a day. Well, that's funny. Your liver makes 2,000 every day and you store 40,000. So I don't care what they recommend. I understand. Um, the other fallacy about eggs and again, is that- And again, again, don't forget, 85% of our cholesterol is not from our food. We make it. And if you eat more cholesterol and you absorb the unesterified one, your body will make less cholesterol. All right? And if you don't eat any cholesterol, your body will make more cholesterol because your body cells, every moment, LDLs taking, taking cholesterol from the liver to the cells. So 20% of cholesterol is made in the liver 80% is made at the origin of the cell. The cell has the actual mechanisms in it to make the cholesterol. That's how important it is. Without cholesterol, you have no estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, minococorcoids, cortisol. You don't have any of those, uh, Jim, none. So that's you brought up a good point uh, a second ago, um, which I wanted to explore a little bit. Only one good point? <laughs> There's been many, but in this situation- <laughs> Somehow we've gotten off the egg conversation, but we'll try to get back okay. on there. Um, Eggs. The Why is LDL, which brings the cholesterol to the cells, um, considered worse for you than the HDL, which, I guess what, takes it away? Okay, so, so yeah. So you have this thing called a chylomicron. So a particle, we talk about it. The more particles, the worse, right? So particles are, you have... Outside the ball, picture a ball. On the inside, you have esterified cholesterol and triglycerides. So there's more triglycerides. That's the culprit. That's in the LDL. And LDL is bigger and less dense. The HDL is more condensed, denser. It's denser because there's less triglycerides. And that goes back away. But even high HDL particles can be a problem. All right, so it's a bad culprit because now since HDL, LDL does carry more cholesterol. If you have cholesterol in it that's unesterified, that is has an extra electron called oxidized, that is a bad that is a bad uh, cholesterol. That one is bad. There's more chance of that occurring in LDL because it's more exposed. So if it's has if it loses its electron, usually because of high carbohydrate intake, that is more inflammatory process. So you want to make sure that's covered. And that's um, alpha lipoic acid, that's um, garlic. There are things that help that happen. But that, but it, it's not, I don't want to say LDL is always perfect. It's oxidized, but anything that's oxidized is free radical formation, therefore, infl and therefore inflammatory. So there's more of them. and But that's the one your body makes the liver to go to the cell. So the, the, the problem is the LDL receptor. The LDL receptor, if it's not sensitive, just like insulin, cannot incorporate into the cell to do its function, then it builds up. And that's, that could be a problem with particle numbers as well. So there are some, there's, there's some inhibitors of this thing called PCSK9 medicines now. But the problem by blocking LDL, here's what LDL does. LDL, this is its functions. It surveils the body for cancer. 
It's a host defense. It's the first line of our immune system, cholesterol. It attacks what's called LPS, which is gram-negative infections. Cell repair, moderation inflammation, energy delivery. It brings sulfur, like I told you, to the membranes. So LDL does all that too. Just because LDL is inside the atherosclerotic plaque does not make it the cause. It's in response to it. I understand. So the... Um Again, traditional lab work, um, assuming that the, and we, I don't want to go into this discussion today, what is actually a normal range and what is considered today a normal range. If your triglycerides are low and your cholesterol is high, then you're, you're fine. You're fine. You're healthy. Right. So, okay. The big risk factor, Jim, the lab we ever should do is called the NMR, Nuclear Renaissance. It actually uses magnets to look at the particle sizes. And there's a number, you want to be under a thousand. So particle number, you get you get all those VDLs, LDLs, all those things I told you about, and you get a ratio based upon those to give you a risk factor. And when you look, it's very interesting, Jim. When you put these numbers together, they're looking at what your not your atherosclerotic risk is, what is your diabetes risk? Because that's the in the causes that causes the atherosclerosis. Because back to the free radical, if you have an extra electron, calcium will bind to it. That's where calcium gets in there. So NMR is key. Particle number is the number you want to lower. And you lower that by low carbohydrate, high fat diet uh, exercise. The thing you want to do, there's a master switch in your body. There's two of them. mTOR, you want on to grow. And you want AMPK to, um, to be off when you're repairing stuff. It means energy. And fasting, keto diet, uh, working out, exercise, all those things get those improper balance on off the right time. Those switches are crucially important. And that's why we do what we do at Optimal Bio. That's what we do is to, modify, to increase the optimal time those are turned on and turned off. Got it. So back to eggs. <clears throat> the other fallacy about eggs is, you know, I think when we're told or recommended to have one egg a day, that doesn't take into account all the other eggs that are part of your your diet. I mean, they're pretty much in a lot of stuff, right? Um, now, some of that is obviously processed foods, um, but I think egg is a central component in the American diet in so many other ways. So, kind of, I guess you could say, you know, it's, that's the word I'm looking for here. Um, by limiting, you know, egg intake, it really doesn't, isn't going to do anything for you if, again, the goal is to lower cholesterol. Right, exactly. The fact is, hey, the two things you should not worry about is cholesterol number, period, being lower, and how many eggs you eat, irrelevant. That, that, those are, it's just the opposite. And again, do not trust Greg Brannon on this. Do your own research, do your stuff, but the data is pretty clear. I can't stress David M. Diamond's literature and um, and I cannot stress the, the Ali Nadir's these videos and the books they recommend. The book I recommend beginning today by Dr. Rosh is not a it's not a layperson's book. It is paper upon paper upon paper. In fact, it's done by a think tank that's called the International Network of Cholesterol Skeptics, and it's t w and they have more papers than you'll read your whole life. It's just data after data. And that's what I want people to do, Jim. We know our mission statement, Optimal Bio, is education. We're just here to educate and be educated. And um, 
Uh, back to statins real quick. The big one is in the study, I'm always forget this number, but there's, when you break down muscle, it's called rhabdomyolysis. And there's a number, if over, I think it's three. If it's over that, you have the disease process. It actually, we know you have rhabdomyolysis, which can be health, it can be lethal. Well, in the study of statins, the original study of statins, they let it go up to nine because they knew you're going to bring muscle breakdown. How many friends you go on statins and they feel weak because their muscles are breaking down? But the biggest muscle is the heart. And that's why it's really important to understand this whole heart idea. This is, the, this is our, our month this month is to focus on that. So what can you do to be stronger? I can't exercise three times a week increases, decreases overall mortality 300%. So these things we could take a charge of and do ourselves. The right fuel, that's what I believe about testosterone thyroid. The right food, high fat, high protein. We have centuries of that to prove that's working. It's just this last 60 years, we thought we'd be smarter than that and we've changed things up and we've never been sicker in our life. All right, so let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned before that cholesterol, you know, eventually, uh, you know, is the fuel that um, allows sex hormones to, to, to develop. Um, Taking it from a little bit of a different standpoint, how does the the BHRT testosterone treatment uh, fit into that whole, you know, cholesterol, heart health, all that good stuff? That's beautiful. Um, if you look at our branding, our branding is four rings. That's a gonine. That's the structure of cholesterol. I mean, that's how important I believe it is. So here's the thing. In our bodies, both men and women, through our hypo ophthalmic pituitary axis, our gonads, our ovaries, our testicles, will make estrogen, will make testosterone first that converts to estrogen. Estrogen gets high. This is simplistic, but estrogen gets high enough. It goes back to the brain again and says, we have plenty of testosterone. We're fine. That number has been changed over years. If the goalpost has moved. When you and I are kids, grandpa's between say 900 to around 13, 1400. Grandma's around 150, 200. Today, they call a woman normal at three and a man normal at 170. Depends what lab you have. So these hormones are not being produced. We have low cholesterol, we have low fat, so we have less making it. That's one reason. But the, the biggest reason is we have these neuroendocrine disruptors that look like estrogen that go back to the brain and tell the brain we have enough estrogen, therefore we make less, test, less testosterone. Roundup being the biggest culprit, astrotain, um, birth control pills flush in our water system, Red dye three, red dye 40 is a great book called Estrogenation talks about this. So we're being tricked. Babies in the womb today have been bombarded so their levels are lower. So the starting point they have in puberty is lower than every generation above us. Uh, Dr. Travison has a good, good paper shown the last five decades on that. So, but testosterone's a fuel, estrogen's a fuel. Besides babies, besides sperm and egg, brain protection, heart protection, bone protection, immune protection, there's 400 functions they do. So our body's working at 20, 30% of efficiency it could work. So are you placing it to pre-plastic errors? Our cells don't know where it's coming from because it looks the same. We get the healthy benefit of the heart, the brain, healthy immune system, healthy cardiac output. So that's why we do it, Jim, because we know the body works more efficient at these higher numbers because these numbers aren't higher. They were optimal 30, 50 years ago. We just moved the goalpost. The example I love to use is this. We all agree diabetes is a killer. We all agree that a blood sugar over 100 means you're diabetic. So now you do a brand new study and a million people in it. And you find, oh, the average blood sugar is 200. You have two conclusions. Move the goalpost and change diabetes to 200. 
or call them all diabetic. Of course you'd call them all diabetic because you know the results of the sequelae of them not being treated. We did it with hormones, we changed it. We moved the goalpost. We moved the goalpost. One example is LabCorp. On June 30th of 2017, a male's range was 348 to 1197. The next day, it was uh, 264 to 916. The next day. And in the paper, it said, more few Americans are obese. Obese people have lower testosterone. Therefore, that's the new range. But that's not healthy. What's an optimal number for everybody? It does vary based upon your genetics. But why try to work at a lower number? So the question is, what's the risk factor being higher? And here's the problem, Jim. Pharmacy companies cannot own an organic molecule. So they have to make a, a molecule that mimics the organic one so they can own it, patent it. So they got to tell us why their structure is superior to nature's. I, I think we win on that. So when you hear about high blood pressure, blood clots, yes, that does happen, but not with the bioidentical, with the synthetic. That being said, I'm going to be completely transparent. If I never knew a bioidentical and I know the benefits of synthetic, I'd still be on synthetic because there's risk class of blood clots and, and hypertension are significantly lower than the benefits you get of anti-diabetes, belly fat, muscle, memory. So, but I'm trying to sue when we started Hopto Bio was to get the benefits without the side effects. So being not that smart, how about the structure your body makes? And that means atom for atom, molecule for molecule, three-dimensional size is crucial. So your body recognizes the same. That's what the Mayo Clinic calls it. So yes, I think we had a higher, and we check cholesterol at optimal bio because if you're under 140, we know you can't make your sex hormones. Going back to, to cardiovascular, is heart disease still the number one killer in America? Yeah, cancer two, neurogenitive three. Over the age of 65, it's falling down. And it's um, been number one for what? Going on like, what, 30 or 40 years now? There's a great, there's a great, 90% of the diseases today, 90% of these diseases today were not here 100 years ago. Also, 90% of our food was not here again. So the processed food is the big one. We had diabetes, yes, 0.1%. We had cancer, 1%. Now, we do live longer. I got that. But when you eliminate the cause of death in 1900 was trauma and dirty water. When you eliminate those two things, they were actually healthier, longer, less chronic diseases. We live longer with chronic diseases because we live in an inflammatory state more. Uh, foods. Um, we talked a little bit about eggs, obviously, and usually... With eggs, you have your your bacon. Um, Mayo and Cleveland Clinic basically put a skull and crossbones around bacon. You say what? Enjoy. <laughs> Enjoy. Again, Canada says eat it. So again, again, I think you got to look at everybody's country, look at the data and put it together. What is bacon? Fat, meat. Now, if you have a religious reason, other, get other meat, other sources. It's just bottom line is the best meat I find when I look at a grass-fed, and that's important. A lot of grass-fed people are grass-fed, but they top them off with corn. Corn is not, it gets them bigger and more marble, but you got to watch that. And you want to make sure there's no hormones. You make sure there's nothing injected in them. So a grass-fed rib, ribeye is probably the best healthy meat you can get. I love Sean Baker's um, book carnivore diet. He goes through the science of that. Sean was on our podcast, what, I think uh, March of 21 yeah. and goes over the science of that. So red meat eggs are some of the health, not some, the healthiest foods you can eat. Um, I'm not anti-vet, no, you know, uh, Sean is not like he's, his vegetables and stuff. I, I still like some from fruit and vegetables, but it's very interesting too, Jim. Talk to his neuroendocrinologist today. The order in which you eat your food affects your blood sugar. If you have 
a vegetable, we'll call it broccoli, rice, and chicken or, or steak. And you eat it in this order. Rice first, meat second, vegetable third. In this study, the blood sugar was 180 after you ate. If you ate it in broccoli first, meat second, rice third, your blood, your blood sugar was 90. Just the order, because you had a high spike the first time with the rice, if you already have your, your fiber and your fat and your protein, you have a lower spike of insulin. So when you eat, how you eat, what food you eat, yes, it sounds complicated, but actually it's really simple. And we used to eat that way. You always had your salad first, you had your meat, and it had a little starch. That's the way it's supposed to be within a time-restricted window. We try to make things more complicated by thinking we're smarter sometimes. Mm-hmm. Great points. We're getting together at OptoBio. We're putting together a complete wellness program. Because right now, Jim, we're doing this for you know, 10 years. The last five years, really heavy at OptoBio. Hey, Greg, you, you really helped us out. Hey, Maeve, you helped us out. You got our, our energy back, our mind back. Um, you know, now, now we have our thyroid great. Now, what do we do now? So we're trying to put a, a program, how to eat, how to sleep, how to work out, but everybody's individualized. When this program is all done, everything be individualized, not the routine, everybody does this. Because a 40-year-old woman may be different than a 20-year-old man, may be different than an 80-year-old ex-athlete. So we're putting that together, probably, uh, we'll probably be releasing that probably April, May-ish. Yeah, I'm one of the guinea pigs right now, and I, I love the program. I think it's great. Yeah, the first guinea pig is always us, you know that, because there's <laughs> nothing we don't do that we don't believe in. Um, people ask me, are you on pellets? Well, the first thing is, if I wasn't, you run, don't come to us. You know, I've been on going on 12 years. The second person I had placed in my family is my wife. Again, if I don't do it, run, because if the doctors not do what they recommend you to do, I think that shows valid, that shows lack of validity. Sure, sure. And for those doctors that are quasi healthy out there, how many do you think they're on? How many of them are on statins that they're prescribing for their patients? Yeah, there was a big thing in when uh, hormones at 2002 paper it said hormones cause breast cancer, which we can, we've spent many times on that paper before. That was not that was not hormones. That was permanent provera. But that being said, 85 percent of the doctors I knew kept their family on it because they knew the benefits. There were risks, but they knew the benefits outweighed it. So I think sometimes, you know, do as I say, not as I do. And mm-hmm. I'm going to be as transparent as possible. Everything we do, we try to show it, Jim. And I've learned so much from our Mavises and our Shannons and our Christians. It's, and and you, I mean, you read a ton. You have, t- my daughter, the, the CEO Ty reads a ton. We just want to learn. All we want to learn, we, we're all in a race. It's called life, right? It's a game. We're in a game. It's a game. We're not here to be the best golfer or, or gym person. The life is how long can we live as healthy as we can? We know God controls the heartbeat, but we don't want to help our way out. How long can we be healthy? And I really believe the longevity and health span can be concurrent, not congruent. And I think we're showing that here. Uh, we had a, a funny thing happen last week at our office. There's an office across our, our atrium in our building. And a guy that actually runs the building came by and talked to our staff and said, what do you do, guys? What do you guys do here? Nobody ages. And we're like, yeah, well, thanks. You know, we're trying to keep that, you know. It's just trying to keep inside. But it's the inside response to that. And, you know, I know how you old you are and how I old them. And I know what we do at our age. And we have peers that we know that we know are not in that level. Not because we're Superman. I'm not saying that. Uh, one of your friends came to us and you said in the last, you know, last couple of years, the difference in his physique and mind, just because he understood the science behind it and applied it. And that's all we got to do is we want to make the roadmap as simple as possible and, and make it as easy as possible. But anytime you ask, we'll give you volumes of papers to show why we believe what you believe. 
Yep. Our goal is to keep you healthy so you don't have to go to the doctor across the atrium there. Um, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so we're kind of coming up uh, uh, towards the end of time. Um, any, uh, you know, you know the drill, you know, anything you want to leave your audience with today? Yeah. The biggest thing, Jim, is please, please be a, a critical thinker and take sources from a lot of different things and then do your research. Um We've been eating eggs for 6,000 years. We've been eating meat for 6,000 years. There's a reason why we're healthy, right? In the last uh, 100 years, we, are, we have a disease we've never seen before. So ask these, like the last two years, these myocarditis and phenomenal specimen people, why? Let's not be afraid to ask questions because the goal is not being right. The goal, in the sense that you're right, the goal is to have the right answer. Um, I love, the, I was in with this, not always, but I, I love there's a, there's a, I really recommend this book for everybody who wants to talk about philosophy. It's Frederick Bastia, written 1850. It's a very, very, very small book called The Law. He talks about these kind of things, uh, healthcare, economics in 1850. But he says, what we really need is we need to have nobody can tell us what to do. We want the free market to decide what to do with individual liberty. And that's what I always talk about. It's individual, you know, you got the brain and I hope we're part of your team to walk a journey. We always, Jim, we always want to walk their journey because everybody's journey is different. We want to help them out to be the healthiest they could be. Got to ask you one question. I'll assume your answer is no. So I'm assuming that eggs do not cause blood clots. No. <laughs> All right. As always, learned a lot in the last 55 or so minutes. Thank you again, Dr. Brennan, for all your insight. And uh, until next time, everybody take control of your health and go out there and do the right thing and you know live a happy, healthy life. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. This has been a production of Optimal Bio. Optimal Bio is CEO Tyler Brennan, podcast host and partner Jim Baker, Medical Director Greg Brannon. Production Assistance by Core Media. Beth Grabencourt, Administrator. Kevin Duthu, Executive Producer. The podcast can be found on our website, OptimalBio.com, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Our theme song is Sunwave by Paradiso, provided by Epidemic Sound. <laughs>